Thank you, Pastor. It would uh, be superfluous for me to say that I'm happy to be here because at my age, I'm happy to be anywhere in the world, okay? <laughs> but uh, it, it is a joy to be here. I did have to cancel the meeting that I had scheduled in 2017, I think. But uh, thank you, for Pastor, for uh, letting me come again. And, and uh, could I say a happy Valentine's Day to all of you? Uh, you're here, and I'm sure that all of you fellows have brought candy and flowers and all those things today. Uh, if you haven't, it's not too late. You still have a few hours before midnight, okay? I heard a story not long ago about this fellow woke up one morning. His wife said to him, she said, uh, Hun, do you know what today is? And he racked his brain for a few minutes, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah I know what today is. And uh, he didn't, okay? <laughs> But he said, oh, yeah, I know what today is. He went to the office and he thought, what is today? And he said, I, I have no idea what it was. But he, he ordered some uh, flowers to be sent to his wife. And uh, then he stopped by the drugstore on the way home and uh, bought, bought some uh, candy. And he, he had a reservation at a dinner, uh, at a restaurant for a dinner. And uh, they, they went to the restaurant, had a wonderful dinner. It was a high-class restaurant and so forth. They got home that night and... Uh, he said to his wife, "Hun, did you enjoy the special day? And she said, yeah, that's the best Groundhog Day I've ever had in my whole life, <laughs> okay? So uh, if you haven't made anything of Valentine's Day today, uh, it, it, it might be a good choice. I, I heard many, many years ago, and a pastor alluded to that, but uh, a definition of a mission conference is that a mission conference is a local church in business meeting deciding the fate of the heathen. And that puts a little bit of pressure on it, does it not? In other words, what we do this week with what we see and what we hear uh, will determine whether somebody can hear the gospel and have an opportunity to trust Jesus Christ or whether they spend all their life and never hear the gospel. Uh, it, it is important. By the way, what you do is important. Uh, there are no unimportant, no insignificant people in the body of Christ. So I trust that every one of us will be praying and asking the Lord uh, what he would have us to do, our part in this matter of world evangelization. Uh, turn your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And I'm going to read just two verses, and you follow me in your Bible as I read verses 37 and 38. And I want you to notice that verse 37 and 38, uh, you find Jesus saying to his disciples, these are some things that you should not do and these are some things that you should do. And then he gives them the results of not doing what he told them not to do or by doing what he told them to do. So look at it, if you would. Look at verse 37. Jesus speaking, and by the way, this is a part of what we commonly call the Sermon on the Mount. And on the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is training his disciples, okay? Uh, I've, I've heard people say, well, I know I'm saved because I live by the Sermon on the Mount. And they don't. 
fact, every time I hear somebody say that, I'm tempted, and I've never done it, but I'm tempted to go up and smack them on one side of the face and see if they turn the other cheek, okay? Uh, but the Sermon on the Mount was not necessarily an evangelistic sermon, okay? The Sermon on the Mount was a sermon in Jesus training his disciples. He went up into the mountain and his disciples came to him and uh, they, they stood there and Jesus sat there and taught the people. So he's training his disciples. And in verse 37, he says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Now, there is a command that Jesus gave them. Don't be judgmental toward the others. And then the results of that is that uh, others will not be so judgmental toward you. Okay? Then he says, Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. And have you noticed that it's, uh, it's a little bit easier to find something to condemn somebody for than it is to commend them for it? But the bottom line is, uh, usually condemning people does not do a lot of good, but commending people does do a lot of good. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Uh, by the way, fellas, if your wife fixes a good meal... Uh, it would be a good idea to commend her for that. If you don't, you may be eating TV meals for a long time, okay? And by the way, ladies, if you ever find your husband doing something good, if you look close enough, you will eventually, okay? Uh, then it would be a good idea to condemn them or, or to commend them for that. Same way with our children. If, if we're not careful, we'll find a lot to condemn our children for and rather than commending them, we're always condemning them. But I've noticed something. When you commend somebody for something, guess what? They began to do that better. So Jesus said, condemn not and you shall not be condemned. And then he said, forgive and you shall be forgiven. By the way, we might already search our hearts tonight and see if there is not something we have done against somebody and we would really like for them to forgive us. Now, if you'd like to be forgiven, then the way to do that is you forgive others. And in all probabilities, uh, somewhere along the line, somebody has done something to you and you didn't forgive them. That'd be a good idea tonight just to get that out of it and forgive them, okay? You say, well, if they ever ask me to do it, I'll, I'll forgive them. No, no, no. You're not forgiving them for them. You're forgiving them for you. And if you hold grudges and get bitter in your own heart, then you cannot be used of God. So he said, forgive and it shall be forgiven you. Now here's our text, verse 38. Look at it very carefully. Give. In other words, he's saying now, here's the result. Okay, give. And it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For the same measure... That you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Dear Lord, we thank you for the infallible, inerrant word of God. And I pray that you'll use your word tonight to speak to our hearts about that which we need to be totally involved in in these critical days when we have so many open doors. Now I pray that you'll speak to each of our hearts this week 
about everything you'd have us to do and help us to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Look at verse 38. Verse 38 is obviously, as many of the illustrations in the Bible are, is obviously an agricultural illustration. And it's uh, like a, a farmer, and, and he wants to be sure that when he sells somebody something, that they get all they deserve and more. And he says, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, okay? In other words, you fill a basket up with wheat. Press down, and you take your hands and you press it down. Then you can get a whole lot more wheat in it. And then you even shake it together, and that puts it down even more. And then fill it up again until it's running over. In other words, Jesus is saying, give, and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give in your bosom? In other words, I want you to be sure that you're going to get everything that you deserve and more. Uh, years ago, we had a term that we used called a baker's dozen. How many of you remember that? Anybody? Okay. Now, what that meant is you'd go to the bakery and you would buy a dozen donuts and they'd throw in an extra. In other words, the baker wanted to be sure that everybody got all that he deserved and a little bit more. Uh, now, I think if you go to the bakery and buy a dozen donuts, they'll give you 11, okay? But, but it's a different generation, okay? But what Jesus is saying here is, I want you to be sure that whatever you give to me, you're going to get a whole lot more than what you gave to me. And I suppose, I started preaching in 1954. And uh, I, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say I probably quoted that verse of Scripture literally thousands of times. Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over. Shall men give in your bosom? And a few months ago when I was reading through my Bible again, and every year I, I well, well over 50 years now, I've read through the Bible every year at least one time. And by the way, it doesn't matter how many times you read it. Every day when you get into it, there's something good for you real fresh. It's the living Word of God. And as I read that verse, I, I could not help but think, Pastor, that verse does, deserves more than just being quoted it is filled with great truth. So look at, let's look at that verse tonight. Now look at the word give. And by the way, God must have loved the word give. Because in our English Bible, the word give or some form of the word give is found 811 times. Now, to be sure, many times when we find the word give, it is talking about something that God has given to us. In fact, the verse that if anybody knows one verse in the Bible, you know this, 
For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. Okay. So 811 times the word gives or some form of the word give appears. Now, as I mentioned, most of the time it's talking about what God has given us. In James 1.17, we find out that everything we have is a gift from God. Listen to it. Do not hear, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Think about that. Everything I have, everything I have is a gift from God. Now, I know somebody might say, well, Brother says you're a preacher. Everything you have may be a gift from God, but I work hard for what I've got. Oh, really? And guess who gives the ability to work? In him we live and move and have our beings. Without him we can do nothing. Everything we have is a gift from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, there's a couple of questions that have an obvious answer. In other words, as soon as you hear the question, you know the obvious answer. Here are the two questions. Listen to them. Who maketh thee to differ from another? That's a good question. And by the way, aren't you glad we're all different? There are 7.7 billion people on the face of the earth, and there are no two people exactly alike. In other words, there is absolutely nobody exactly like you. And the person sitting next to you, you probably said, thank God for that. Amen. Who maketh thee to differ from them? God. God said to Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. God made us different and he made us all different. And aren't we glad everybody in the world don't look alike? Can you imagine 7.7 billion people looking like Don says, would that be a horrible world or not? But it'd be even more horrible if everybody in the world looked like some of you tonight, okay? <laughs> Who maketh thee to differ from another? God. All right, listen to the next question. What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Again, the answer is obvious. Nothing. Nothing. Everything I have, I have received from God. There's a great verse in Revelation, or in, I'm sorry, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Listen to it. Through faith, we understand that the worlds, by the way, not just this little bitty speck called earth, okay? By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. You know what that verse says? God spoke the world into existence. You said, Brother says, you mean you didn't go to high school, you, you didn't learn the Big Bang Theory? And I did. And I read it in the Bible. God spoke. And bang, there it was. Amen. And by the way, that's exactly the way it happened according to the Word of God. 
Now, here's the question, okay? Since God created the entire universe, and the Bible tells us in, first, or in Colossians chapter 1 that it was created by him and for him. In other words, he created it. It all belongs to him. Now, with that in mind, what in the world would God want somebody like me or somebody like you to give to him? Now, there are several words in the Bible that are very similar. For instance, the word give, the word yield, uh, the word commit, the word present. And basically, they all mean the same thing. You have something and you put it in the hands of somebody else. What in the world would God want me? I mean, the sovereign, omnipotent God of the universe, what would he want me to give to him? And there are three things that I'm absolutely sure that God wants every one of us and every one of the 7.7 billion people on the face of the earth to present, to give, to yield, to commit to him. Number one, he wants us to commit our soul to him. You say, how do you know that, Brother Seth? The Bible says he is long-suffering. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to redemption. He says in 1 John 2, Little children, these things write on you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And listen to the next verse. And he, Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. You know what he's saying? When Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross, that rich red royal blood was sufficient to save everybody who had ever lived, who was living then or would ever live, that was enough to save everybody in the world. In other words, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. He wants each of us to commit our soul to him. The Apostle Paul made this statement. He'd gone through a lot of problems, a lot of persecution, a lot of trials. But he said, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep, protect that which I've committed to him. You know what Paul was saying? Anything I've committed to the Lord, I don't have to worry about it. I know he will take good care of it. And by the way, the opposite of that is true. Anything I refuse to commit to the Lord, I'd better worry about it because I'm going to mess it up. Okay. So he said, it's not his will that any should perish. Now, have a good thought for a minute tonight. Remember when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Might have been right here at this altar. Might have been in your home. Could have been in your place of busy. Could have been anywhere. But if you are a born-again child of God tonight, 
There was a time when you had to come to the realization that you were a sinner and on your way to hell and that you could not save yourself. And you put your trust in what Jesus Christ did on Calvary. That he suffered and bled and died and was buried and resurrected from the grave. Think about that minute. Now for me, that was October the 15th. 1949. That's a few years ago, amen. But I went to a Youth for Christ meeting in Nortonville, Kentucky. And uh, at the invitation of a friend, the friend didn't try to win me to the Lord. He didn't witness to me, but he did invite me to church. And thank God everybody can do something, amen. He invited me to church and I Tried all week to think of some reason I shouldn't go to church. And then I woke up on Saturday morning and I thought, hey, I better go. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. I mean, you know, the home is bad. Uh, I'm poor. Nothing. I'm, I need Jesus. And I went to church that night and thought, when they give that invitation, I'm not even sure what they do. But when they do, I'm going forward and do whatever I need to do. And I went to church that Saturday night, and I don't remember what the preacher preached about. I don't remember his name. I don't have any idea who he was. I just know he preached too long. And I just kept hoping, hurry up, get through. I want to go forward and do whatever I need to do to get saved. And I went forward that night, and a Baptist preacher came from the back of the church, and he took his Bible, and he showed me some things I knew. He said, according to the Bible, you're a sinner. <laughs> but he didn't have to convince me of that, okay? I knew that. If you died in your sin, you'd go to hell. I'd heard some preachers preach about hell. But Jesus Christ died for your sins, and he went through the, the plan of salvation. And that night, I bowed my head, and I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And I didn't feel any liquid love, and I didn't see any lights flashing. <laughs> but I got up off my knees that night, and I had a peace in my heart that I had never had in my life. And I remember going home that night, laying on the same bed that I laid on night after night. I used to lay there and think, I hope I don't die tonight. If I died tonight, I'd go to hell. And I went home that Saturday night, lay on that same bed. And all I could think about was, I may die tonight, but if I do, I'll wake up in heaven. Is that a great thought or not? Give, present, commit, yeah. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure. What did I get that night? I went to church on my way to hell. I went home on my way to heaven. <laughs> All my sins were forgiven. My name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I became a child of God. Hey, by the way, I didn't know all those things then, but thank God when I learned them, it was great. Amen. Whatever you give to him, he'll give you something a whole lot better. I'm sure he wants every one of us and everybody in this area and everybody in Canada and everybody in North America and everybody in the world to come to him and give him, present to him, yield to him their soul. Then he not only wants my soul, but guess what? And again, he wants me. He wants all of me. 
And he wants all of you. Uh, listen to Romans 12.1. I saw it written in the room where we I ate dinner tonight. Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Look, listen to the word. Present. Give. Yield. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. The uh, first verse that I memorized in my Bible, uh, about three weeks after I got saved in the Youth for Christ meeting, I, I attended a revival meeting at the Nortonville Baptist Church, and I went forward in the invitation, told Brother Ratliff I'd like to be baptized and become a member of Nortonville Baptist Church, and he took me to a little room and went through the plan of salvation again. He wanted to be sure I was saved. And that's not a bad idea, okay? And then he gave me a New Testament and he had underlined Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And he said, now Don, before you come to church tomorrow night, I want you to have memorized those two verses. And I went home that night with that New Testament and I read those verses over and over and over again. The next day, even at school, I caught myself you know, reading and listening and trying to, to get those verses. And when I went back to church that night, he said, okay, Don, have you memorized the verses? I said, yes, sir. And I quoted him, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And by the way, I've never had any problem with that. I'm saved by grace, amen? <laughs> it's nothing I did, it's what God did for me. It's not me working for him, but it's what he has done for me. But you know, if you look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that's not the end of the paragraph, okay? The next verse says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, a lot of people have the idea that salvation is just a ticket to heaven and an escape from hell. By the way, it is both of those things. But that's not all of it. After we get saved, God wants us to give all of ourselves to him. What does that mean? I believe it means this. Dear Lord, I'll be anything you want me to be. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll give anything you want me to give. In other words, we are committing our all to him. That's what Romans 12 wanted me. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. I can't help but believe that if in all of our churches and all of the trained leadership that we have, if we were really saying, I'll be anything you want me to be, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, I'll do anything you want me to I cannot help but believe that many more would be going to the great unevangelized fields of the world today. Question. 
Are you really committed to the Lord? Have you committed your life to the Lord? Hey, by the way, I know what the devil's saying tonight. I know what the devil's trick is. And he's made us to believe this. If you committed your life to the Lord and if you said you'd go anywhere God wants you to go and be anything God wants you to be and to do anything God wants you to do and to give anything that God wants you to give, he would make you miserable for the rest of your life. And if that is our thinking, that's the thinking of the devil. Hey, by the way, the devil is a liar and the father of lies. But if that's our way of thinking, then we have a very low concept of God. I love this statement. I didn't coin it, but I love it. God reserves the very best for those who leave the choice to him. When I give myself to the Lord, then he gives me his very best. I had a friend by the name of Ron Bishop. He went to heaven a few months ago. But uh, I heard Ron give a testimony. At that time, he was the basketball coach and athletic director at Tennessee Temple University. And Ron got saved when he was 15 years old. And he said, right after I got saved, I went to a Christian camp. And the Christian camp, they had counselors, boys and girls from a college nearby. And, you know, they were 19, 20, 21 years old. Ron was 15 years old. But he said, I got a crush on one of those college girls. And sometimes younger boys get a crush on an older girl, okay? He said, I got a crush on this girl. And she said, she was beautiful, and I could not take my eyes off of her. But he said, I heard missionaries giving testimonies, and they would say something like this. I told God I'd go anywhere but Africa, and God sent me to Africa. I told God I'd go anywhere but India, and God sent me to India. I told God I'd go anywhere but China. God sent me. And he said, I began to pray. Dear Lord, don't make me marry that girl and go to Hawaii as a missionary. And he said, sure enough, God didn't do either one. But you think about this. The greatest life in all the world is a committed life. When our life is totally committed to him, we don't have to worry about it. God. God is in control. We're not in control. God is in control. Now, a lot of people worry about me, you know. And I tell them, don't, don't, don't worry, I'm okay. A fellow was interviewing me one time and he said, the brother says, what about the future? It's about a year ago. I said, future, I'm 84 years old. I don't even buy green bananas, Amen. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but it doesn't make any difference. I know that today I'm where God wants me to be. Today I'm doing what God wants me to do. And guess what? God will take care of tomorrow. And when we commit our life to him, we don't have to worry about it. I commit my soul to the Lord. I don't have to worry about my soul. One day I'll breathe my last breath on this earth in my first breath of celestial air. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. When we give our life to the Lord, we don't have to worry about it. God will take care of it. So God wants me to present my soul to him. God wants me to present me, myself, to him. And God wants me to commit my substance 
to him. You say, how do you know that? Well, Malachi chapter 3 says, well, a man robbed God, yet you robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed the tithes and offering? You're cursed with the curse. Therefore, bring you all the tithes in the storehouse and prove me herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. You know what God is saying? He said to the nation of Israel, and I believe he says to us in our church age, I want you to bring to me at least one-tenth of everything you make and give it to me. Into the storehouse. I believe that's the local church. I believe that every believer ought to give at least 10% of everything God gives to us back to him. Now, I made that commitment soon after Virginia and I got married, 1952. And uh, I went forward in the service. Brother Jones preached a very simple message on tithing. And I remember he prayed with me. And then he told the church about it. He said, Don's come forward today and he's committed himself to be a tither. And uh, by the way, when he said that, the treasurer didn't jump up and say, well, praise God, now that Don's going to tithe, our financial problems are over. In 1952, I just started working at King's Foundry, and I was making a dollar an hour. So my tithe was $4 a week. Now, obviously, that did not make an impact on Black Oak Baptist Church in Gary, Indiana but it made an impact on me. And it proved to me that if I would do what God told me to do, God would take care of me. He wants me to give him my substance. Wait a minute. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills and the hills they walk on and the gold and the silver. But God in his word has told us that he wants us to give that to him. And then he's promised what he will do for us. 1968 at the Marquette Manor Baptist Church in Chicago, Illinois, I heard Dr. Billy McCarroll teaching about a concept I had never heard. I'd been a pastor. I'd been a missionary for four years. I was on furlough. And Dr. Billy McCarroll, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evening, explained 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 and taught about faith, promise, giving. And I listened to that, and I had lunch with he and Dr. Van Gilderen on Tuesday and on Wednesday, and I must have asked him a hundred questions. And I went back and told my pastor about it at Calvary Baptist Church in Harvey, Illinois. And he said, okay, you teach it to our church, and uh, then we'll, have, we'll start doing that in our church. And I did. In 1968, I made my first faith promise commitment. I took a commitment card, and I read that card, and it said this. By faith in God, I promise to give X number of dollars for world evangelization through my local church, which was Calvary Baptist Church. And I put on there, by faith in God, I promise to give $5 a week to missions above my tithe and offering. And you say, well, you know how much faith did you have, sis? In 1968, I was a missionary in Japan. And my total support was $500 a month. Did it take some faith or not? It did. But I did that. And by the way, last October, 
I made my 50th faith promise commitment. And every year, every year, for 50 years, I have increased my faith promise giving. A long time ago, more than 20 years ago, the largest item in our budget every year, one line item, has been faith promise giving. You say, how do you know that God wants us to do that? 2 Corinthians 9, 7, listen to it. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Listen to that again. Every man, and sometimes when you say that, all the women say, amen, let the man give, okay? But he's not talking about gender. He's talking about mankind. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. Wouldn't it be something this year if every member of Bethel Baptist Church gave something every week above their tithe and offering for world evangelization? By the way, I, I want you to repeat something after me, would you? All, all together. Now, now, listen very carefully. If you do it right the first time, we'll just have to do it once. But I learned this a long time ago from a good friend of mine. This, this is a great thing. Okay, here, here it goes. Okay, repeat after me, Carl. Everyone giving something. That's weak. You're going to have to do that again, okay? All right, listen to it again. Everyone giving something. And everyone giving more. Than they ever gave before. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. Amen? If everybody, if every member of Bethel Baptist Church gave something, then everybody gave more than they've ever given before, your faith promise commitments would increase exponentially. And you could support more missionaries and more missionary causes and so forth. So look at it. Give. And it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Wow. What a great God we have. Amen. That's a promise. And by the way, the Bible says there has not failed one promise of all. There's one word of all his good promises. Every promise God makes, God will fulfill. Now look at the last part of that verse. For with the same measure that you make with all, it shall be measured to you again. With the same measure you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You know what he's saying? You just determine how much you want. With the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. In 1956, I began pastoring in Kentucky. Christmas of 1956, a lady by the name of Mrs. Lynn came to my wife and me, and she said, Brother Don, I want you and Miss Virginia to go to Jordan Furniture Company in Madisonville, and uh, I have an account there. Some of you older folks remember when we had accounts rather than credit cards, okay? Had accounts at the grocery store, accounts at service day. She said, I've got an account there, and you go buy anything you want, anything you need, and put it on my account, and I'll pay for it. And she said, now, Ru Buford and Ruby Day, and I knew them. He was, Buford was a deacon in our church. They worked there, and they know me, so they'll take care of it. So a couple of days later, Virginia and I went to Jordan Furniture Company. And by the way, we needed everything we saw. We were in Bible school. We didn't have anything. 
And we went to Jordan Furniture Company, and we, we must have shopped for about an hour and a half. And uh, we talked to Buford and Ruby, shopped and looked. We looked at bedroom suits. We looked at living room suits. We looked at refrigerator. We looked at carpet. But after about an hour and a half, we left Jordan Furniture Company, and we had purchased a magazine rack about that long that cost $5.95. And I still have that magazine rack. It's a trophy of my stupidity. We could have had anything in that gross, in that in that uh, super uh, in that uh, furniture store, and we settled for a five dollar ninety five cent magazine. Right? Listen to a verse from the Bible, Psalms eighty one ten. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. By the way, you know what God was saying? I can do anything. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Two and a half million of you brought you through dry ground, through the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his army attempting to follow you. They were all drowned. That's a pretty good feat, amen. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. And every time I think about that magazine rack, and by the way, that was an embarrassment to Mrs. Lynn. She would have been much more pleased with a much larger gift. And I think about that magazine, right? And I think, you don't have to be a $5.95 Christian. We don't have to be a $5.95 church. We don't have to be a $5.95 missionary. We have the unlimited resources of Almighty God. And all he's saying is, give. Give. And it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. Where are you tonight? Have you given your soul to the Lord? Have you committed? Have you yielded? Have you trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior? And by the way, if you're trusting anything else other than that, it won't work. Or are you tonight? Are you really a committed Christian? Could you really honestly say tonight, I'll go anywhere, I'll be anything, I'll do anything, I'll give anything? This would be a good time to make some commitments, would it not? And is your substance, is it committed to the Lord? Remember the statement. Anything I commit to the Lord, I can quit worrying about it. He'll take good care of it. Anything I refuse to commit to the Lord, I better worry about it because I'm going to mess it up. Let's bow our heads for prayer. I'm going to ask Pastor to come and pray for us tonight. And then he'll conduct the invitation as God leads him. But you take a few minutes tonight and think, am I really committed? Have I committed my soul? Have I yielded my soul? Have I trusted Jesus as my Savior? Am I really committed to him? Am I really willing to say to him tonight, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, I'll be anything, I'll give anything? That includes your life. And by the way, it includes your substance. Give. And it shall be given unto you. Pastor.